0: How do we start being mission-minded? How do we create, lead, and then grow a mission-minded church? How are we going to make disciples, make disciple-makers? But before all that, where's this start? Where's the, how are we going to get a mission mindset? I think it starts with a mind shift, and all of us need it. As I mentioned earlier, I wear boots because I grew up on a farm. My dad's a farmer. He's a wheat sheep farmer in southern New South Wales, a little place called Tamora. And he goes to farming field days regularly. Tomorrow I had a research station so he could just drive in 20Ks and go to these farming field days, day conferences just like this one. He would go to the day conference, he'd hear the ideas, the options, look at the technology, get all excited and he had to come home with this mind shift to his staff team which, I mean let's be honest here, was my mum and two sheepdogs but he had to go home to the staff team and convince them of the mind shift as well. That the things he learnt and the things he was convinced of they needed to do were worth doing and my mum's the treasurer on the staff team so that was a lot of convincing he had to do. I think this conference can be one of those conferences like for us in the same way. We get the mind shift but this is not just about us, is it? This day, this day conference is, a, you know, we're leaders and we're getting mission minded and we're getting that mind shift happening. We're getting all the ideas and the options, what we could do. But we've got to go back to our staff teams, to our elders, our deacons, our church, and get them all on the same page, on the same mind. And for that sort of mind shift for today's event, it's a shift we all need. It's not just a shift for us, of course. This is a shift for groups, it's a shift for the church. Today is, of course, all about the church. It's about local groups, churches, and all of us need this shift. We need a mind shift, a ministry mind shift to mission. And to be mission-minded, therefore, is to think differently, not just for us today at this day conference as individuals, but for whole groups, for churches, for groups to think differently together. (coughs) I wonder, have you ever thought about groupthink? I don't know what groupthink is or thought about groupthink. Groupthink is an interesting thing to study, but if you've never thought about it, that's okay because you've probably experienced it. At least I reckon you have if you've taken blokes away on a bloke's camp. That's where you see groupthink. Every year we, we host a bloke's camp in Bendigo. We take uh, students and professionals away, all the men together on a camp for a whole weekend, and it's there. You don't, you don't have to study it. You can just see it happen. All around you is groupthink. It's where individuals get together and they stop being individuals in their thinking and they start thinking as a pack as a group and they'll do all sorts of things as a group they would never do back home so for example group think men on group think will for a whole weekend just eat meat every meal they'll eat meat on this bloke's camp they'll snack in between on beef jerky but everything else is just meat you know they'll kick flaming toilet rolls to each other like a footy game and and rather than getting time off work they'll actually go to work and say look how i burnt my arm yeah flaming toilet roll now, timid men who, who won't, you know, they're pretty shy, won't say boo to a grasshopper, will stand on containers full of dry ice and water waiting for the explosion and, and for the cheer of the crowd. And then one man in particular who was a high school science teacher uh, last year, the year before, he, uh, he would ban this in his students doing it in his workplace, but he, he got an orange gun and instead of putting an orange in it, he uh, loaded it with different ammunition and he shot it at the camp convener. He shot the camp convener in the face with the camp convener's own underpants. <laughs> groupthink. In groupthink, there is no king. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. It's like the land of the judges, the book of Judges. In the time of the judges, this is, this is groupthink. This is what when groups go bad. Pastor and Smith, in their book, Psychology the Science of Mind and Behaviour, show what we know. Much of human behaviour happens in groups. Today is about shifting the group for the whole group to think differently for the whole group to think not with a mob mentality mind and not even just primarily individuals but individuals thinking together with one mission mind today we want people we want groups we want our churches to make up their mission mind and we need this because we're not born this way are we we don't come out of the womb this way. We don't, when we become Christians, we, kind of, we know there's something we ought to be doing with the good news that we heard, and so we, we're supposed to do something with it. We know we need this shift. We need the game changer, the heart changer, the mind changer, the one to shift gears for us. We need God to do this for us. So to begin with today, we actually need God to move our minds, to do this mind shift. The question is, this morning, our key question, I think, is how do we start, before all the other great stuff to come, with all the other workshops, how do we start being mission minded? How do we start thinking that way? We start by hearing God speak in Philippians chapter 2. Come with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking particularly at verses 5 to 11. It's, it's a famous passage. People call it the purple passage, one of those texts of scripture you probably know well. It's been put to song, to hymn. Some people call it, some scholars call it the hymn of Christ. And in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, we see here a description of the gospel. In Philippians 2, verse 5, we read this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11, we have this description of the gospel. And in terms of what is the gospel, that's a big question for our ages, is every age, for every past, every Christian. What is the gospel? Here we have a description of the gospel. You could could go to the Gospel accounts, of course, if someone said, What's the gospel? Here's Mark's Gospel. Here is a gospel account. There's four of them. Go to the Gospels. But here in Philippians two, verses five to eleven, that we have this description of the Gospel. In fact, you can even summarise the Gospel in one clause. And it appears here in verse eleven. It's summarized as this Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, the gospel, good news. Why is he Lord? It's because of who he is and what he has done. We see in that hymn of Christ, Jesus is God who is humble. The one who has gone from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Jesus, who is God the Son, who who is in the form of God in verse 6, takes on in the very next verse the form of a servant, verse 7. Jesus is the one who made himself nothing, he emptied himself. Now, if you're a scholar and you've got the time of day and the ink to spill, there's been much spilt over. What does that mean? When I was at college we used to discuss this, what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself that the God the Son emptied himself? Does it mean that little baby Jesus could win a game of pool, you know, all by himself in one hit? What does it mean? Does it mean that he couldn't or what is it? It's in the text, it's right there. What does it mean that Jesus made himself nothing? He became a human. He became a human. These small sentences describe a massive moment in human history. The incarnation, incarnal, in flesh. God became human. And most unexpectedly, unexpectedly, this one who was God does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's not like humans in any other way. In, in humans, humans in this, in this realm, in this way of thinking, if humans think about, well, there's God, there's equality, what do we think? We think, I'm going to grab that fruit of the tree, I'm going to grasp at it myself. Jesus does not grasp at it. Jesus humbles himself. He does the unexpected for God. He becomes a nothing, he becomes a human. He humbles himself, even dying as a human, as humans do. But moreover, did you notice, verse 8, he's not just humble, He is humiliated by dying on a cross, even death on a cross. And the good news of Jesus, the good news for us is he did this for us. He did it for us. So verse 9, verse 9, he is is highly exalted. This is Jesus, who, who he is and what he has done, done this for us. He is highly exalted and he gives glory to God. God has raised him eternal, highly exalted. Here is the gospel message. Good news. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is ruler. So that through him we have salvation. Under him we have lordship. All to to the glory of God the Father. In the gospel, we see that God is the missionary sending agency par excellence. God is a missionary sending agency, yet also in the gospel we see, God is the missionary in Jesus Christ. Here in Philippians 2, in this purple passage, where we have this description of the gospel, this is where groups need to go to start with to get a mind shift. And it's all because of Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. For all the exhortations that Paul gives in verses 1 to 4 culminate in verse 5. This, this verse, this, these words, this, us to ruminate on, to think on, to think like Jesus, to have the mind of Christ, a mission mind. Now, we as leaders know what it's like to go to a day conference like this and go home to our churches. How was Geneva Push? Oh, it's great. Uh, what would you learn? Oh, a little bit of a mission-minded. We're going to do this now. We're going to do this together. So, so here's what we're going to do. Team... Um, we need to think on the same page, okay? And they're all going, yes, okay, got that, right? Uh, have the same mind, one mind. You've got to be humble. You've got to count others more significant than yourselves. All right, that's very hard to do. And don't look to your own interests. What? Yes, I know. Look, this is part of the plan. Just bear with me. Don't look to your own Look to the interests of others. Be humble. All right, let's go and do it. Surely we know by experience that is just herding cats unless it's bolted to Philippians 2 verse 5. Verse 5 is where we swing, where we shift our minds into gear as we have the same mind of Christ. To get a group to think with a mission mind is to get the group, the church, to think like Jesus. And so doing, if you follow through verses 5 to 11 on to verse 12, there's another therefore there. Therefore, verse 12, work out your salvation, work it out with your mind, work out your salvation and dare I say mission, with fear and trembling. If We won't have, verse 14, we won't have churches that are full of grumblers. Lots of churches are like that, aren't they? Verse 14, lots of churches, Paul had to write it for a reason, let's be straight here, we won't have a church full of grumblers, verse 14, rather, verse 15, we'll have churches that shine as lights in this world. In this crooked and depraved, twisted generation, churches will shine differently because a church on mission with one mind that has other interests first, will go on mission at cost to self. They will be humble to the point of humiliation. You know, people say, I'm very happy to be humble, but there's, there's a point I won't be humble to. No, Jesus is humble to the point of humiliation. They will be willing to be humble to the point of humiliation on mission. And people like that, churches like that, groups like that, will shine so differently think so differently because we think like Jesus. See, in Jesus, God gives us salvation, but he also gives us imitation. He gives us salvation, but he also gives us an example, a way to think. We know that groupthink can be as good or as bad as sinners are. And groupthink can be good. It can be a good thing you can have good fun together doing outdoor activities. I like to tell it to my wife, you know, we do man stuff, but I tell it's outdoor activities. You can, you can do good things or you can do bad things in groups. But you can do great things together if you have the same mind and as churches, churches have the mind of Christ. A study on group thing conducted by Max Ringelman, who was a French agricultural engineer, so kind of up our alley, my alley, my kind of background. I'm not French, but, you know, ag. He, he, he wanted to measure men pulling a tug-of-war rope and, and see what the difference between what the individual and the group was. So he, he got some men together and he, he measured each man and, and just pulling the rope by themselves, each man averaged about 60 kilos. Right? So he thought, well, let's, let's measure eight men together. Surely eight men together it was 63 kilos, so eight men together would, would pull 504 kilograms together. So half a tonne. Eight men should pull. So he got the eight men together and he measured it. And you know what it came out to be? Half as much. Eight men together should pull. No, it came out as 51% less effort by the eight men. Why? The one contributing factor was social loafing. That's, you know, being lazy, but it's giving it a, a psych name. Social loafing. The tendency, this is what social loafing is, the tendency for people to expend less individual effort when working together in a group rather than working alone. What are the reasons for social loafing? There's three. One is individuals believe their performance wasn't being monitored. So no one's watching. I'm just going to hold onto the rope. That's just easy. We've all done that, haven't we? Just admit it. Well, perhaps secondly, the task had less value or meaning to the person. What are we holding the rope for? What are we doing this for? I don't know. Someone told me, I'm just, I'm just here with a group, just doing what everyone else is doing. Thirdly, some gave low effort because they knew others in the group would put in enough effort for both of them. Now, I highlight this because, I don't want to take away from the Bible and go to you know, psychology magazines and journals and books, but I highlight this because social loafing is more prevalent among men and men particularly in Western cultures. We are interested, are we not, in the behaviour of groups today. We are interested in how people behave as groups, as churches, and we want to create, lead and grow mission-minded churches. But the way to start is we need to set the mindset. And that mindset, which uh, I think Bruce is going to talk about a little while later, starts with a mind shift. It starts with shifting our minds to start to think like Jesus as individuals and as a church. See, I think our churches, we can presume that we're on mission. Now, I belong to a church. I belong to a Presbyterian church. Um, and it's a great church. But we often presume we're on mission. And there's a lot of social loafing happening at the same time. It means less people do more hard work. And we, we, we pray for a church that's made up its mission mind together. But this all seems theoretical, doesn't it? Ah, this is... Of course, it's always going to be a small bunch of people doing all the work. Isn't that the way it is? Surely, Christians, there's always going to be social loafers. That's what happens. It does seem theoretical, but for Jesus, Paul, and others, it wasn't. In fact, in the rest of Philippians 2, we're given real other human examples of those who are mission-minded. We look at the mission-minded mates that Paul had. Let's start with Paul, verses 7 into 30. Paul wants the church to be mission-minded, no doubt. He wants to be like Jesus. He wants to think like Jesus. It's why Paul labors. It's why church leaders labor. When I was growing up in a church, I desperately wanted to be a farmer. And I went to university and the staff worker said, maybe you should think about gospel ministry. And I was like, you're kidding, right? I, I, I do not want to have soft hands the rest of my life. I don't want to, you know, spend my week playing golf, writing a sermon on Saturday, preaching, and then having the rest of the you know, day off. I, I'm not that kind of guy. I want to do outdoor activities. I want to be a farmer. But we know what it's like, don't we, leaders, pastors, to labor. It's hard work. Paul describes it like pouring his life out. It's like he's pour, like he's a glass of, of wine, pouring his life out as an offering. He's giving his every last drop sacrificially. It's easy to think church leaders do this because they're keen in that, you know. It's it's their job. But leaders labour for others' sake. We are here today for others. The whole day we're thinking about others as we think like Jesus. Well, it's not just for the apostles, though. What about Timothy? Paul says, what about Timothy? Paul says he has no one like him. That's a pretty big claim, isn't it? You can imagine other people, like perhaps Epaphroditus even, who comes next. Other people reading this and going, oh, well, what about me? I I I kind of like to think that i'm in paul's team but paul says there's no one like him who's who's genuinely concerned for your welfare genuine genuineness is hard to come by today when our relationships are so shallow and often online a genuine interest in your welfare paul says everyone serves their own interests that's what humans do not those of jesus christ leaders like timothy though serving in prayerful proclamation of the gospel. Then what about Epaphroditus? Timothy had a genuine interest. What about Epaphroditus? Well, he's been sick, we read, and he was distressed, not because he was sick, but because others heard he was sick. So he's distressed about them, which is a strange sort of thing, but he's really other person-centered. More than that, Paul finishes this chapter by by speaking about Epaphroditus, saying that he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life for their sake. Such humble-minded Mission service. How on earth could they do it? That comes back to our key question we started with. How do we start being mission minded? Because of Jesus we can. For their service is very Christ like, isn't it? It's very much like Jesus. In humility, considering others better than ourselves, risking life, dying for others. This mission mindset starts with Jesus. That in any given moment, any moment, and we know what it's like. We're not ready for those moments, but they come. Perhaps on a daily basis this happens, or in a working week, we can start being mission-minded as we have the mind of Christ so that we forsake self, for the sake of the other, for the glory of God. And this works out in three ways to finish with, I think, three simple ways to start thinking mission-minded to begin with. To forsake self. Forsake self like Jesus does means laying your life down like Jesus does, but your popularity down. If we, if we don't see churches looking to the interests of others because they're laying their popularity down as people, as in the community, they're going to need to. We need to make sure we have others' interests in our mind first. Otherwise, we'll be dulled to the mission of the gospel. We're kind of suppressed we need to forsake self. We need to be those that pray for the other. We need to get over our fear of being unpopular because of the gospel. And our churches, our groups, will need to do this. We're going to need to help them. When we were door knocking in Shepparton, it was very unpopular. Uh, we had students, and yes, they loved door knocking, and it was hot, and they loved kind of feeling like they were on mission because it was really hard. Um, yes, you know, students do. But uh, we went to streets upon streets in some areas where... where the, the first words at the door were words you just you can't say again. You just you know why is this happening? And thought, so. One student said, "I think um, the others are having it easier because they're in a they're in a poor area. If we could just go there, we're in the rich area. They don't you know, swap. No, we need to be ready to forsake self. Someone's got to go to the rich, nasty people." <laughs> Secondly, for the sake of the other. That's connected, those two, forsake self for the sake of the other. We genuinely need to seek to make disciples and disciple makers. It's all about other people. We have to have an interest in the other's welfare. It's interesting what's been going around on the YouTube lately um, by an avid atheist, Pen not sure if you've heard of Pen Teller and Penn and Teller, Uh, he's a comedian, a magician in America, but he's an avid atheist. And he said this, and it's been doing the rounds, so I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I'll just read out what he said. He said this about people like us. He says, if you believe there's a heaven and hell, and people are going to hell, this is an avid atheist, right? And they're not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, and then you think, well, it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytise? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Now, brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong, I don't think we hate people, do we? We don't don't hate people. Just that we think of ourselves a little more than others. Thinking like Jesus changes that. Thinking like Jesus changes that. Walking over and talking to the new person at church is not, not just being nice, it's forsaking self. But more than that, reading the word and praying with people, we know that takes time and effort, doesn't it? But we do this for the sake of the other. See, unless we look upon the crowds with compassion, we're not going to be moved to open our mouths with the gospel. And we do all this, as we make disciples of Jesus, for the glory of God. Thirdly, for the glory of God. We need to make sure our missional thinking, like that of Jesus, is for God's glory. It's his mission. We didn't invent it, create it, put a nice logo on it, it doesn't make it any better. It's God's mission. It's easy to think that I'll be the person that changes the world. There was a student on campus talking recently, I overheard, a Christian student with their friend. Their friend's not a Christian. And their friend said, what are you going to do when you finish uni? And this Christian student said, I'm going to go to Africa, be a missionary. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. And the non-Christian student said, why? And he said, well, that only takes one man. And it's all very noble, but... Actually, it takes groups. It takes churches, Jesus' church. It takes God to do this. It's very perhaps he should be here, perhaps, you know, at this sort of conference today. We all need to guard against pride. We need to guard against thinking we're doing this for us and for some sort of glory, our logo, our label, whatever it is. We want to guard against being the guy that enters Wikipedia as the person that changed the world. That's Jesus' job. It's God's mission we join and thinking like Jesus means we enjoy giving all glory to God. Forsake self, for the sake of the other, for the glory of God. To be a follower of Jesus is to be Christ-like. It's to be a servant like Jesus. So to start the mission mind shift, let's think like Jesus. Let's pray we will. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for your mission to us. Thank you for the gospel. And we pray now today as we think on these things, as we read your word, we hear you speak to us, as you use your agents, your speakers to teach. We pray that we would learn that our minds would be renewed by your spirit working in us. And we pray that as our minds are renewed that we would take every thought, every thought about mission, every thought about church, and make those thoughts captive to Christ. And we pray these things. As we forsake self for the sake of the other, we pray it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.